If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. This morning we are going through uh, the second to last sermon in the book of Ephesians. We'll be doing the, the final one next Sunday, Lord willing. And then uh, we're going to start the book of Matthew to kind of kick off the Christmas season. And we're going to be through going through the book of Matthew into 2023. So if you're curious where we're going after Ephesians, we're heading to the book of Matthew. Uh, let me pray and then we'll jump in to this morning's sermon. Father, thank you for your your word, every single word in your word, all 66 books. We thank you that they are inspired by you, and we want to be shaped by them. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help me to uh, rightly handle and teach your word. Lord, you give us grace to rightly apply um, these passages this morning, and we we want to be more like Jesus, and we, we pray that encountering you through this section of Ephesians would help us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, every Sunday, uh, a group of us pray uh, for the church service um, at 8.30 every Sunday morning. And uh, I described the passage that we were going to be in this morning. And Lynn Bassler, who was there for for prayer, uh, described this section of Ephesians as a minefield. And I think that's an accurate description, that it's God's Word. Um, unfortunately, this section of Scripture has been um, twisted, contorted, misapplied at times. So what I'd ask you to do as we go through Ephesians 5, 22 through chapter 6, um, verse 9, is listen to the whole thing. Um, just try your hardest to listen to the whole thing. And then if you still have questions, we can talk about those uh, questions as they come. But I think it works best to... to to listen to this thing as a whole. And as Dave Marshall, who was at the prayer meeting, pointed out too, that, that um, picture the, the book of Ephesians as an apple, and Ephesians 5.22 um, through chapter 6, verse 9, is a slice of that, that apple. So it fits in a whole context, and we're just pulling out a slice and looking at it. I think those two things will help us. Um, today, we are, we're, the title is Revering Christ... In every relationship. Revering Christ in every relationship. And honestly, going through books of the Bible, one of the reasons we do this here at Saving Grace Church is so that we're, we're forced to go through sometimes difficult, complex Bible verses that we might otherwise avoid if we didn't go through an entire book of the Bible. So the, the three ways, the three big things we're going to look at today is how does revering Christ influence Husbands and wives, children and parents, and anybody in the workplace. To set us up, though, if you weren't here last week, I want to start where we were last week because it really is important to understand the verses that, are, that, that go before this before we dive into um, our verses for today. So look at Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21. And do not get drunk with wine... For that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. And I took the, the title from really verse 21, Revering Christ in Every Relationship. See, the Apostle Paul is connecting being filled with the Spirit, having a reverence for Jesus, which we'll talk about what that means a little bit in, more in a moment, and how that should affect our relationships, whether that's in marriage, it's in parenting, it's in the workplace. See, the reality is, imagine if you lived on an island. So you're on an island with your Bible, and it's a nice island. It's warm, it's comfortable, it's not too warm, it's about perfect, whatever your perfect temperature is, that's what the island is. You got your Bible there, and you got a few tasks that you do for the day, but there are no people. So imagine you did that for couple months, couple years, and you're reading the Bible, and you're really getting to know God's Word really well. Um, and you, you have this notion that you are just super, super mature. After all, you know God's Word, you do your tasks for the day, then you sit at the beach, and then you do the same thing day after day. See, without other people, without other relationships, we often will think we are more mature than we really are. And what happens is when, when God puts people in our lives, it reveals things about us. It shows us um, maybe how, how, how mature we truly are. Here, let me give you a couple examples. Um, for those who have had newborn children. So consecutive sleepless nights into, let's say, weeks and months, and for some even years, that does something in the mind of a mom and dad. It does something in the heart of a mom or dad. And it, you feel like you're turning, you're just losing touch with reality because you haven't been sleeping. That, so that's a relationship with this newborn child that you have been entrusted to care for. That, that squeezes in certain ways. Um, those of you who have toddlers or had toddlers or have grand toddlers, um, if that's a word, when they throw a tantrum in private, that's, that's hard. When they do it at Walmart or at the Christmas parade we were just at on Friday, that squeezes at a whole different level and you feel like the eyes of everybody are on you. For those who are, have teenagers or have had teenagers, you know, something happens at, at, in the mind of a, a child as they become a teenager where you, like one day they went to bed and the next day they woke up and they're like a lawyer all of a sudden. So like something like, hey, can you make your bed when they were 11? Okay, maybe they're not really excited about it, but they, they'll do it. Then something happened. Hey, could you make your bed? Then they get really philosophical. Well, why, why would you make a bed that in the very same day that you got out of it, you're getting back into? Like, that makes no sense at all. Like, what happened to my child? So that's a relationship, and that relationship squeezes um, those of you who have adult children, when your adult children go off the rails, that, that squeezes, that does something inside of you. Those of you who are married, when a spouse does not meet your expectations, um, maybe not biblical expectations, but just your, your expectations, that, that can do stuff. For those of you who have bosses that are difficult, that, that reveals things. Those of you who are, are supervisors or bosses or owners of company, when, when your workers do not do the job that you're paying them to do, that, that affects things. See, all those things and more, the Apostle Paul is going to address in principle in Ephesians 5, uh, verses 22 through chapter 6. 
And all of these examples, and whatever example you're thinking of, it it really does test us and show us where we are in our reverence for Jesus, in our worship of Jesus. See, that, that word revere can be a little abstract, but here's a way to think of it. If you make it your aim to please Jesus, worship Jesus, delight in Jesus, give him the all, the reverence that he deserves in every single relationship that you're in, it will, it will affect how you treat people. No matter what situation you're in, no matter how difficult that situation may be. Listen to this from Ephesians 4.32 and chapter 5, verse 1. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. See, as we get into the specifics of the marriage relationship, the parent-child or teenager relationship, the the workplace relationships, all this primarily has to do with our focus and attention being upward towards Jesus, to trusting Him, to worshiping Him, to wanting to live for Him. And as we heard this morning, even in those really difficult relationships, and some relationships are unimaginably difficult, there is grace from Jesus to honor Him in those relationships, to walk through those difficulties. So the first point is revere Christ in your marriage. Now I know when I say that, not everybody in this room or watching is married. So don't tune out. So if you're not married, um, there's still going to be stuff you can learn and hear here. And you can also pray and encourage those friends you have that are married. So there's stuff to learn. Don't tune out. Um, That sounded painful. (laughs) You okay? (laughs) I get so distracted. I'm sorry. Okay, focus. Verse 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. We have now entered the minefield. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So, so pay attention to the comparisons. For the husband is the head of the wife, how so as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So in our day and age, I could probably read swear words in church and they might not be as controversial as what I just read. Um, so we're just, this is God's word and God put it in there. So we're going to walk through it and try to, to rightly understand it. So words like submit, head um, are, are definitely difficult trigger words. And for some, some people, it's because these words have been contorted and misapplied and I would say abused. So let's, let's walk through this idea and, and keep in mind, if you're not familiar with the passage, that the much higher bar is going to come when the Apostle Paul addresses husbands. 
So he's going to have a very high standard for how husbands should treat their wives. So remember, I said, listen to the whole thing. So let me just say a few things just to set up here. So in this passage, in the marriage relationship, a husband and wife are co-equals in worth and value before the Lord. They are co-equals. And a wife is someone who is willing to place herself under the servant leadership, the Jesus-like leadership of a godly man of her choosing. So when you get married, if you're a woman, if you're a Christian woman, you are choosing to marry, hopefully, a godly man, and his responsibility is to love and care for you like Jesus cares for the church. And we're going to see that in great detail. So don't miss that. So this, this is a co-equal in worth and value, husband and wife. She is, when she gets married, she's joining the covenant of marriage, as is the husband. And she is placing herself under this Christ-like leadership of protection and of care. And both husband and wife must Submit to Jesus. He is the King of Kings. By this point in the book of Ephesians, Christ, which is the Old Testament title for Messiah or King, um, has been presented by the Apostle Paul about 31 times. So it's a strong, very strong emphasis in the book of Ephesians. And so marriage has everything to do with Jesus as King. And so when a husband and wife are entering marriage into the covenant of marriage, the husband is to emulate Christ, and the wife is, is willingly putting herself under his leadership, under his care, which is how I would define submission in this passage. If you are not married, and you are a single woman, you do not have to submit to a man in this context at all. This is not what it's talking about. It's in the context of marriage where you are willingly committing yourself to a man that you believe is God's chosen husband for you. Um, now, as human beings, there are many places in society where we have to submit. We have to submit to bosses. We have to submit to police officers. We have to do all kinds of things. So that applies to everybody but you can't, don't let a man misapply this passage. This is, this is for the context of marriage. And um, the Apostle Paul has already, if you, if you read the, the whole letter, so remember it's an apple and we're looking at a slice. He has already elevated the, the status of Gentiles. He's already elevated the status of women. And he has already elevated the status of children. If you read Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and 3 in particular, you'll see that the Apostle Paul has an even playing field for anyone who has trusted in the name of Jesus. They are joint heirs with Jesus. They are the dwelling place of God's Spirit. They have been made alive Spiritually, they are one with God's family. All this is important as we get into this subject. Let me throw out a few other caution flags. 
So this idea of husband and wife, where I think this gets misapplied often. I've seen this happen, and a famous um, pastor actually, I think, misapplied this passage this past week when he, he preached on it, um, is in the particular. So if, if a Christian husband or wife, they, they agree with Ephesians 22 through 31. They, they, they see it as applicable for their marriage. Where I think Christians get into trouble is, is assigning very specific tasks and roles um, in the application of this. For example, uh, certain chores at home, certain um, working in the house, out of the house. Things that the Bible does not specifically speak to. And if you've been married for any length of time, you'll, you'll, if you are a committed partnership with your husband or with your wife, your, your responsibilities are going to shift and change over the years. Our responsibilities shift and change um, at times. Sometimes I cook more. Sometimes I cook less. Sometimes I'm primarily responsible for finances. Sometimes I'm not. We, it, it all works because of communication. So it is a co-equal partnership before Jesus that the husband should feel the weight of responsibility as the servant leader before the Lord. But what you need to do is talk through everything. The more you talk, the more you communicate, the stronger and healthier your marriage will be. So that's a, that's a, a flag of caution. This idea of Headship and submission is not a statement of value, worth, intelligence, or giftedness. We're going to see at, at later on in this passage, it, it actually is anchored in pre-fall, pre-sin entering the world, God's creation order. Number three, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a second. This is a, a flag of caution Focus on the passage that applies to you. Focus, and especially for husbands, focus on the passage that applies to you. If you're, you're not sure what that means, if it says wives and you're a husband, that's not you. Focus on the one that applies to you. Number four, this is a more serious caution. It is always sinful, always sinful for husbands to weaponize these verses and to justify sinful behavior, laziness, control, verbal, or physical abuse. It is always sinful. It has really nothing at all to do with this passage or the context of the whole passage or the context of the whole Bible. It is always wrong, always sinful. Sadly, in the years that I've been a pastor, in the many years that Mark has been a pastor, we have encountered this. And it is it is sinful. It is wrong. Jesus takes it very seriously. And so if you weaponize the Bible for your selfish interest and gain, you are messing with God's daughter who happens to be your wife. That's a very serious sin that you need to stop doing. You need to repent of. Um, wives, particularly if you're in a difficult marriage, your allegiance is always first and foremost to Jesus, not your husband. 
your allegiance is to Jesus. So if Jesus is going this way and husband is going this way, it's always right for you to go with Jesus because it's out of reverence for Jesus. And I know at times well-intended Christians can confuse these things. Uh, Manipulative spouses can confuse these things. But it's really clear. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. We follow Him above all else. Some cautions there. Now, this, this might be a little bit lighter, but um, raise your hand if you've ever heard the expression, stay in your own lane. Stay in your own lane. Raise your hand if that, that's in your vocabulary. You like to say that. Stay in your own lane. Like that's one you use. Some of you. Thought maybe there might be more. So the idea there is if, 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 if this is not your lane, don't, don't enter into it. I think these passages, one good principle when navigating these things is stay in your own lane. And sadly, in these passages, the one who often comes out of the lane is the husband, not the wife. So husbands, hear me loud and clear, stay in your own lane. If you are concerned about your marriage, the biggest concern you should have is, am I acting like Jesus? Am I loving my wife like Jesus? Am I laying down my life like Jesus? Am I the the biggest servant in my family? Am I the one who's feeling the weight of responsibility? Let that preoccupy your mind. Because remember, the analogy is Christ in the church. Think how patient Jesus is with us. Think how how forgiving. Think how long-suffering. See, that's God's call for you if you are a husband. So stay in your own lane. Do not weaponize this, these verses, particularly 22 and 23, um, if, if you're a husband who has done that. And if you have done that, and I would be shocked if there's not some in this room who have done that, own it, confess it, bring trusted people into that. Um, go to a good marriage counselor, a good Christian marriage counselor. Get help. Bring others into that. So you can bring it out into the light and you really can change and you really can grow and you really can experience freedom. So we're going to leave verses 22 and 23 for a moment. Or we're going to leave them. But a little side note, as I was preparing and thinking about this, I think it's important to for those of you who are single and um, want to be married and you think that it could be God's plan for you to be married. I, I want to I give you some things to think about, some dating advice. I, I know like as the years have gone by and I've done premarital counseling since uh, probably the last 17 years or so, I know at times I can come on really strong in like a first premarital counseling thing because I've seen marriages that, Christian marriages that have just not gone well. And so there's just this urgency to put Jesus first. So let me give you some free dating advice. I know you're not asking for it, but um, I I want this, we want this as your pastors. Uh, This is for guys and girls. Find your joy and commitment contentment and satisfaction in Jesus alone. I know you hear that a lot, but until Jesus is where you find your joy, your satisfaction, and contentment, 
Marriage is going to be a setup. If you think that spouse, guy or girl, is going to be Jesus to you, they're not. They are not. Only Jesus can satisfy. Only Jesus can bring unshakable joy and peace. And the more you learn that before you are married, the, the better you are prepared to walk through the ups and downs of marriage. Guys and girls, do not overlook or compromise the high bar of Christian character. What you are looking for as you pray is a passionate follower of Jesus. That's who you should be looking for. If you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus, would you in your mercy bring another passionate follower of Jesus? So if you begin to compromise that character bar and that passion bar, and you get about a ice cold to lukewarm guy or girl that you are attracted to, that you have the same interest in, you like the same music, you like the same sport, but you know that bar is, is just dropping by the, the minute. Just be careful, be cautious. It's really the exception that that lukewarm Christian becomes uh, white hot for Jesus after they get married. The normal pattern seems to be the opposite. What, what was there in Spark just kind of phase. Now, the Lord is gracious and merciful, and there are exceptions, but they are really, truly the exception. So keep that bar really, really, really high. And as you're dating, as you're getting to know people that you think, oh, I, I really like this person, bring other people into it. Bring your friends, bring your church family into it. Don't, don't have this kind of isolated relationship that... Um, other people aren't able to, to be a part of and speak into. Also, one other thing, whoever it is, they are not going to look like they do. They're not going to look like they do in 2022, in 2075. They're not. Um, don't put it up yet. <laughs> but, so, so I want to give you a kind of a humorous example. When uh, a few weeks ago, I had to go to the iCard office at IUP. I'm part of this campus ministers group, and uh, they have pastors that are involved too. So we have to get an iCard. And I go to the iCard office, and the, the college student has a computer monitor in front of her. And I can see her, and she can see me and the computer. And she looks at the screen, looks at me, looks at the screen, looks at And she's just going back and forth. And I say, is there a problem? She said, I don't think there's a problem. She said, I think we have a really old picture of you. Do you want to use it? So if we put that picture up. Okay. So look at that hair. That's what I want you to look at. Look at that hair. Look at those locks. At that point in my life, when I would get my hair cut, I'd actually get it thinned out. And that totally backfired. Um, and then she's like, do you want to use that picture? I was like, probably shouldn't. I don't think people are going to see it. But the point is, if Mary married me for those locks, those locks are gone. I mean, they are gone. And so, humorous example, you can put the picture down. But um, our bodies fade. We change. You, as you are thinking and praying about getting married one day, let God's Word, let the book of Ephesians, finding somebody who is 
walking and living the Christian life, may that be your bar. Now, you have to be attracted to them. They're, they're, that's, that stuff's not unimportant. But the primary thing you're looking for is a, a, a like-minded follower of Jesus. So there's some dating advice for you. Okay, husbands, now it's going to get um, a little harder. This is the high bar. God gives an incredibly high bar for Christian husbands. Look at verses 25 through 33. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. So you see what he's doing there? He's saying, husbands, do this. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus in these very specific ways. So Jesus is the example, and he's the bar. Um, Verse 28, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So this is quoting um, Genesis chapter 2, before sin entered the world. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you Love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So let me just kind of hit some of the main things here. Husbands, we are to lay down our lives for our wife. We are to to be servant leaders, to feel the sacrifice, to to, um, look to Jesus as our example, and to feel the weight of responsibility before Jesus. So that is the lane we should stay in. That is the lane we should, should meditate on. Lord, how am I doing this? Lord, this feels impossible. Let me give you a really simple starting place. And I, I for as far back as I can remember, every premarital counseling time that I meet with a a couple, I try to say this almost every time. If you want to honor Jesus in your marriage, the most important thing you can do as a husband and a wife is this. What is this? Cultivate your relationship with Jesus. The most important thing. So husbands, there's no way you can lay down your life as Christ laid down his life for the church if you're not spending time with Jesus it will be absolutely impossible because it's supernatural to not give in to our own desires and put others above our own interests. This is one of my my favorite lifelong Bible verses. This is John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So this is this universal principle that certainly applies in our marriages. Certainly applies to husbands. So if you are not going to the vine, if you're not opening your Bible 
and praying. You're, you're cutting off the primary way that you're going to be able to live out your marriage in a way that brings honor to Jesus. So maybe for you, that is the starting place. Jesus, would you help me to seek you first, to be dependent on you? See, and as you do that, this passage is incredible. You will be fruitful. If you are lacking the fruits of the Spirit and you're not spending time with the source that provides and produces the the fruits of the Spirit, then it, it shouldn't be too confusing. But there should be a great hope and expectation if you begin to spend time with Jesus day after day after day after day, oh, you'll be different. You'll be able to love and serve and, and lay down your life for your wife, for your kids if you have them, to, to give up maybe selfish impulses and desires. It is supernatural. So husbands, that is the starting place. That is the starting place. Husbands, you should joyfully, lovingly show tender care to your wife. See, under this big idea in this section, I think leadership is a, a, a good way to think about it, but it's, it's servant leadership. It's sacrificial leadership. It's not, I'm the boss. That, that's not the, the sense of this passage at all. It's more that when, like God went calling for Adam and Eve in the garden, who did he call for? They both sinned. Adam, where, where are you? See, God will call, and I, I think when he calls, he, he calls the husband. And we have a, a weight of responsibility for loving and serving and honoring Jesus in our marriage. Husbands, love your wife as much as you love your self. You might think, I, I, don't, I don't know if I love myself that much. So let's try a little activity. Um, today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn off the heat in your car, in your house. Um, you can't eat till tomorrow morning. So no lunch, no, no dinner, um, no snack at night. And, uh, and we'll just see how you do. Okay? We'll just see collectively how we all do. Um, and then we're going to throw in, this is just for the guys, a man cold that comes with a headache. Okay? So you got, you got a man cold that's just bad that you compare it to the labor pains of your firstborn child. Um, well, what's going to happen is you're going to start to squirm. Why? Because you, we love ourselves. Um, and let's throw in a minor injury, too. You just stubbed your toe on the way out. So you are... By the time that day is over, um, you're probably so preoccupied with yourself. Your stomach's growling, your foot hurts, your head hurts, you, you know, you're in pain, you're miserable. And, and all attention has come focus on you, whatever your name is. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. Um, look at verse 20. In the same way as husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. See, that's, that's how we should think. I, I want to love my spouse. I want to think about my spouse the way I, I think about myself when, when maybe comforts are taken away. So I think after husbands spending time with Jesus, 
maybe a, a phrase to think about is love, cherish, nourish. How, how am I loving, cherishing, nourishing? And when I fail, Jesus, forgive me, help me, give me fresh grace, give me fresh faith, help me to do this. So we are to pursue Jesus. And the incredible mystery is that even when God made Adam and Eve, he had a bigger story in mind for this marriage union, this covenant, covenant between a man and a woman. Look at verse 31 and 32. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, united together. Now listen to this. The mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. See, wives and husbands, those of you who are married, those of you who maybe are heading towards marriage, remember, your marriage is to tell a bigger story. It's to bring honor and glory to Jesus. It's to tell the world of the relationship between Jesus and His bride. And the closer we are to that plan, the, the more people can see it. So that, that should give perspective in our marriages. And then it's as if in verse 33, oh yeah, i got to tell you guys two more things. Husband one, wife one. He says this in verse 33 before he goes to parenting. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. So be devoted, be committed. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now the opposite is true for both. So a, um, a husband must respect his wife. And a wife should love her husband. But he, he uses these two specific things. So if that applies to you, you could ask yourself, if you're a wife, am I, am I respectful? If you're a husband, am I devoted and sacrificial in my love for my wife? So we want to revere Jesus in our marriage. We're just going to hit the, the parenting piece. We're going to skip the last piece for today. So second point, last point for today, revere Christ in your family. And this is talking about the parent-child relationship. He's going to talk to children and teens first, then he's going to talk to parents. This is just four verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And he's going to quote the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. He's going to expound on the promise from Exodus 20, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So that's to children, to kids. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And under that fathers, I think you could also apply mothers as well. So let's just Hit this kind of quick. Children, teens, an expression of your love for Jesus. If you're going to, to be disciples of Jesus, it, you, you see it probably first in the way you interact with your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters. And if you're being raised in a house that believes in Jesus and believes that this is God's word, one way to look at it is part of your testimony of God's grace since you love and care 
and grace for you. And if you have that perspective, then as you get older and you don't like some of the things that they are trying to help you with, think, oh no, this is part of God's care and protection for us. And maybe, just maybe, my mom and dad know more than me. They're not perfect. Let me tell you a little parenting secret, children, particularly firstborn children. If you're a firstborn child, look my way. So, here's the little secret. Maybe your parents went to one or two parenting classes at the hospital or somewhere else. Then this traumatic event happens where you're actually born. And then in a surprisingly short amount of time, they tell your dad to go pick up your mom as she gets, comes out of the hospital in a wheelchair and you have this, this little carrier and then you put the baby in the car, you drive home, you go into your apartment or your house and you're like, oh no, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have zero idea. I've read a book. I know some parents. I was a kid. And then moms and dads are just kind of figuring it out. And that's what a church family helps us figure it out. But they're growing and learning as you're growing and learning. So your mom and dad are not going to do this perfectly. But they, if they know Jesus, they are seeking to point you to Jesus. And so their parents, we want to ask our kids for forgiveness when we mess up. And kids, you need to extend forgiveness to your mom and dad. But kids, teenagers especially, your parents are not crazy. They love you. They love you. And oftentimes, they, you know, kids come around, but um, they love you. And, and you might think they're, they're fearful and they're irrational. And probably at times we are fearful and we are irrational. Uh, we'll just admit that. But it's out of love and care. And so kids, not just parents, but kids, a great place as you um, hit elementary school and, and into the teen years to, to read in the Bible is the book of Proverbs. It is wisdom for life. And there are, there are many Proverbs that point to being a wise child, son or daughter, is really listening to your mom and dad when they are trying to instruct you about the Lord. They are not out to get you. They have your best interest in mind. And so kids, this is a stay in your own lane. Your own lane is obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So that's to follow your mom and dad, listen to your mom and dad when they are within the bounds of what the Bible teaches. Now, if they're out of the bounds, it's just like marriage. You follow Jesus. But if your mom and dad love Jesus, generally speaking, they're in bounds, and so they're trying to help you. Now, one of the things that I noticed that um, we did wrong, and I think a lot of parents do wrong, particularly with your first child, is you, you miss the transitions of um, toddler to elementary to teenage years. To, so you try to parent kind of the same way across the board. It just doesn't work. So as kids get older, there's got to be a lot more conversation, a lot more dialogue, a lot more aiming at the heart of the son or daughter. Not just do this, don't do this. Yes, no, you can't, you shouldn't. It's dangerous. Um, as they get older, we need to get in there and, and ask them questions and, and pull things out of them so we know what's happening with them. So that's all I'll say there. For parents, let's just look at the parent passage. Um, he addresses fathers, but I think under this you can rightly put moms. And I know some moms in this room and watching are raising 
your kids by yourself, which we have all the respect in the world for you. And so God's going to give you grace for this impossible task. Some of the grandparents in the room are doing the same thing. God's going to give you grace for that. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction. So you go out of bounds, there should be consequences. That's not a wrong thing. A good parent will bring right discipline out of love, not out of anger, into the situation. The discipline should match the level of offense of whatever happened. That's just half of it. The other part is instruction. We should be regularly teaching our children, our teenagers, even young adults, pointing them to Jesus, how awesome he is, how amazing he is, how satisfying he is, how faithful he is. One of my absolute favorite parenting... Actually, let me... Went out of order here. If you could put up 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I want, I want to just pause for a moment like marriage, I know, I think parenting maybe in some ways is even worse, that I think faithful Christian parents can, can experience this condemnation that is just, just unbearable when kids go AWOL and, and run away from the Lord. And I believe the Lord wants to encourage you. Some of you have been very faithful moms and dads, not perfect, but faithful pointing your son or daughter to Jesus over and over and over again. And at least at this moment in time, they want nothing to do with Jesus. And you feel this weight of condemnation, guilt, just, you just feel terrible. Your heart is broken. And I want to encourage you that, particularly those of you who have been faithful, Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. The context is not parenting. Talking about apostles. He's, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. See, it's possible to plant gospel seeds, to teach the Bible faithfully, to do it over years and years and years. And then for someone a young man or young woman, to just reject it all. That is, we can't save our sons or daughters. I wish we could. I w- if we could, we would. We can't. If we, remember, this is a slice of the apple. We learned in Ephesians chapter 2, we were all born spiritually dead, and then God made us alive. That is something parents cannot do. We cannot bring spiritual life into our children. We can teach them, we can plead with them, we can appeal, but we can pray to the one who can follow them at any part of this globe they go to and a moment in time, all the truth that you have pleaded and prayed for can come to life. And, and, and the miracle of miracles will happen just like it happened to you. So if you've been faithful, the, the Lord does not want you to live in condemnation. Moms and dads, let's, those of you, us who are still in the parenting throes, I, I think one of the most helpful verses is in the book of Deuteronomy, um, where, where it talks about, uh, lost it in my notes, but 
Here it is, Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7. Sorry, I'm going all out of order. Um, and, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them, and you shall sit in your house and you walk, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Parents, I, I want you to think of, of this passage as just a, a very helpful tool for parenting. That we have this God-entrusted responsibility. And what I love about this passage, the context is the Old Testament law and it's the Jewish people. And they're, they're called to not just teach their kids in formal ways, but to teach them as they go along the way. Well, this means every car ride that you take your child to, a soccer practice or a musical practice or a sporting event or um, dropping them off at school or picking them up at school or dance or cheer or whatever it is, all those things are opportunities to apply Deuteronomy 6 to talk through things, to talk through things when kids are mean, to talk through things when they're discouraged, when they didn't get the part they had hoped they would get, when, when they, they got overlooked by a coach, when kids at school are ruthlessly mean. See, if, if you thought of, of those moments as an opportunity to shepherd and care for the, the kids that got entrusted to you or grandkids, rather than an inconvenience of your schedule when you're tired, it changes everything. That a monumental spiritual thing could be happening as we're driving to and from practice. See, that, that's the way to do this. And we want to do this together. So let's talk about this. Let's pray for one another. And those of you who do not have children, we need your help as parents. We love, I love, one of my favorite things is to see uh, those of you who, who don't have kids or aren't the same age as my kids taking an interest in my kids and encouraging them and being concerned about them and pointing them towards the Lord. That's a beautiful, wonderful gift that a local church has. And we would encourage you to do that more and more. So we have gone a little bit long. Jason Rummel, one of our pastors, uh, who may go longer at times than the rest of us, is loving that this helps him the next time he preaches. So you're welcome, Jason. Um, what we're going to do, we're not going to have the worship team come up. I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to have the prayer team up here. If you need prayer for your marriage, if you need prayer for um, parenting, uh, we would love to pray for you. If you just have anything else that's on your heart and mind, uh, we'd love to pray for you. Um, young adults, um, you can go out to the cafe. We have lunch, and there'll be a small group discussion. Let's pray, and then we'll officially dismiss. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you when it cuts and probes, and we know that's a, a gift from you. Lord, we need your help. Lord, we, we pray where conviction should be experienced, there would be conviction where... Um, condemnation exists that is unfounded we pray you would remove it and we pray you would pour out your spirit and you would help us to honor you in our marriages in our parenting and you would encourage everyone who's come this morning or watched online and we ask all this in the name of jesus christ amen thanks for coming we'll have the prayer team up here if you'd like prayer uh, please come up for prayer